Welcome to Engage 360, Denver Seminary's podcast. Join us as we explore the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of scripture at work in our culture today. Hi, I'm Don Payne. I'm glad to be your host for Engage 360. This is where we explore what it looks like to engage the needs of the world with the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of Scripture. And we are excited to have another uh, another esteemed guest, an august guest with us this morning. And it's not often that, that you get to interview someone who is a professional interviewer and a journalist. So not that that makes me in any way nervous or self-conscious about this at all. <laughs> But, but, I, but I can't turn a question around, so how does that make you feel, Don? <laughs> <laughs> I knew this would happen. Well, and there we go. So our guest this week, I'm really happy about this, is our, uh, our colleague and friend, Marshall Shelley. Uh, Marshall joined our faculty about three, three years, ago. years ago, I believe, and prior to that served on the Board of Trustees at Denver Seminary. For how long, Marshall? I joined in uh, the year 2002. Okay. Marshall uh, holds a bachelor's degree from Bethel University, or maybe probably Bethel College yes, at Bethel the time. Bethel College, when I was there, it's a university now. Yeah, Bethel, Bethel College, Bethel University, and a Master of Divinity from Denver Seminary. And has, as many of you will probably know, has had an illustrious journalistic career uh, with Christianity Today and Leadership Journal. I'll let Marshall fill in some of the blanks and tell a, a little bit more about the details of that. Well, three years ago when Marshall... Uh, left Christianity Today and moved back to Denver, where he had grown up, to join the faculty of Denver Seminary to become director of our Doctor of Ministry program. And it has been a delight to have him here, not only because he's Marshall Shelley, but also because I now uh, teach a little bit in the Doctor of Ministry program and get to interface with Marshall through that, which is just a great delight. So, Marshall, officially, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you very much. It feels like, uh, in some ways, coming full circle. People ask me, how long have you been at Denver Seminary? And I say there's two answers to that question. One is, uh, I joined the faculty three years ago, but the other answer is, I arrived at Denver Seminary in 1957 when I was three years old when my <laughs> dad joined the faculty. Okay. So, uh, you know, I've been a Denver Seminary faculty kid. I've been a Denver Seminary student. I've been a Denver Seminary uh, adjunct professor. I've been a Denver Seminary board member and now a Denver Seminary, seminary faculty member. So. so I'm thinking this probably sets a record or maybe a number of records for longevity and for most uh, the, the most different ways of relating to the Denver Seminary community. Yeah, and it's uh, been a it's been a delight. I've seen Denver Seminary, you know, grow and develop, and uh, I have to say, Denver Seminary is better and more healthy now than I've I've ever known it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's start out and just tell us a little bit more of your own story. Uh, you you alluded to some of that. You've got a long history here because your dad taught here. Your dad was one of my professors here, and I suppose. However awkward that might have been, probably one of your professors, too. He was, too. twice. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was the rabbi's son twice, and, uh, and yeah, I so. enjoyed that. It, certainly pressure was on, and I certainly did my best in those, uh, you know, in those settings so, so he didn't have to uh, find any conflict of interest in uh, how <laughs> right. he was going to deal well, with that. That was noble of you as a son. I'm not sure all of us as sons would have done exactly <laughs> the same thing, so you get an award for that as well. Uh, give us a, a bit of a chronicle of your uh, both your, your life as it relates to Denver Seminary and then your ministry career with Christianity Today and other things you've done. Well, I was raised in, uh, raised in Denver. Uh, you know, my, my, earliest, uh, my earliest memories were, were here and um, graduated from high school, went to Kennedy High School, Southwest Denver. And uh, as a um, high school senior, my, my only 
vision, my only dream at that point, my only passion was to be a college football quarterback. You know, I'd been a high school football player, and uh, that was a noble dream. The problem was I was 155 pounds, and so that, that meant the options were going to be limited. This was not going to be a Division One Small experience. Pool. But I wound up applying to a number of Christian colleges that, that I knew had football programs, was accepted at, uh, at all of them, but chose Bethel because it offered me $500 in financial aid. And I said, football scholarship. There you go. Although it was actually just financial aid, but uh, that got me to uh, Bethel. Lo and behold, my football career lasted uh, two years and 10 minutes. The uh, the 10 minutes was uh, after being an underclassman waiting for the upperclassman ahead of me to graduate the, the quarterback. I did fulfill my dream of being a football college football quarterback for 10 minutes got hurt at uh, 10 minutes in no way uh, lig- ligament damage in my ankle I was on crutches for six weeks when I came back the uh, sophomore behind me had beaten me out and uh, I thought what was that all about and a professor that I was happened happened to have that semester Alvira Michelson her husband Berkeley Michelson was a esteemed oh, yeah. New Testament prof yeah and uh, Alvira said, Marshall, if uh, she was teaching a writing class I was in, she said, Marshall, if you put the effort into your writing that you put into football, I think you might be able to do something with that. Tell you what, if you write an article and sell it to a publication before the end of the semester, you'll get an A in this class. And I was not getting an A in the class at that, okay. at that time. So I took her up on it, wound up uh, selling an article to Campus Life magazine, and uh, that introduced me to uh, you know, the world of journalism and I, and, you know, when one dream was taken away, the whole football thing, another one was opened up, this idea of um, using writing abilities and uh, opportunities to make a contribution to the, to the kingdom and earn a living, and it uh, you know, developed into an eventual career. Upon graduating, f- or upon graduating from college, I worked at uh, David C. Cook Publishing Company, which at that time was in the Chicagoland area. Worked there for four years, came back to Denver Seminary, got a, my Master of Divinity. At that point, uh, Christianity Today had started a new journal called Leadership Journal for Pastors. They said, Marshall, we're looking for somebody who has, a, who has journalistic skills but a pastor's heart. Do you know anybody like that? And I said, yeah, I think that's me. <laughs> and uh, they, they hired me, and I've spent 34 years there working uh, on Leadership Journal and some of the other publications that uh, Christianity Today had started. And... Loved the journalism career, loved the uh, opportunities to interview and to, um, to put together publications. And, uh, but then uh, when Leadership Journal in uh, January of 2016 uh, published its last print issue, it was uh, one of the casualties of the electronic revolution here, and we uh, had a, an online version, but uh, you know, the financial picture was just not as, as rosy as uh, we would have liked. Uh, it became clear that it was time for me to be open to other things. And at that time, just uh, providentially, uh, Denver Seminary came calling and said, we're looking for a director of the Doctor of Ministry program. We're looking for somebody who loves pastors, has developed a pastoral network, and has a heart for continuing education. You know anybody like that? And I said, yeah, I think that would be me. You always get asked the same question, <laughs> don't you? And the answer is always the same. And it was just a, a you know a wonderful thing, came and interviewed and uh you know, worked through the uh, the process, uh, and uh, it's been a delightful experience here being able to work with uh, Doctor of Ministry students who are ministry leaders, people who are leading various churches, church plants, uh, parachurch ministries, spiritual formation 
uh, situations and uh, being able to invest in their lives has been a, has been a delight. Yeah, some of the most interesting people, and I can say this honestly, some mm-hmm. of the most interesting people I think I've met in years. Oh, the, absolutely. The, each crop of doctor ministry students who come in. I just right. I can't believe the diversity of their backgrounds, their um, their their traditions within the Christian faith, their uh, their ministry right. experiences all over the world. It it staggers me every year. Just one example of that, just this year, a new student started who had experience in the Marines, uh, and then after he finished the Marines, joined the Peace Corps. He was involved in security of the the Peace Corps around the world, and in the process of that job, winds up planting two churches in Africa and one in Augusta, Georgia, and... uh, but he recognizes that uh, you know his calling has exceeded his preparation, and so he wants to come and get a doctor of ministry. And uh, somebody like that is just a delight to be able mm-hmm. to to work with because mm-hmm. there's so so much experience, giftedness, uh, and yet uh, wanting to be able to come here to Denver Seminary to refine skills, theological reflection, his perspective uh, is just a delight to be able oh, to yeah. walk alongside yeah, somebody really like is. that. Well, I've got so much I'd like for us to talk about. Um, before we get to more contemporary uh, questions and issues, l- let's r- roll back a little bit and talk about Leadership Journal. I, there were so many great moments from Leadership Journal from when I started reading that in the, probably in the late 70s or early well, 80s. When first, did it start? The first, the first issue was January of 1980. 80, so, okay, right. okay. So, yeah, I was in on uh, just reading that in, in some of the early days. And right. I many, was a charter. I was a charter subscriber too. I, you know, I, I like to say I enjoyed. I enjoyed reading it before they paid me to enjoy reading it. <laughs> That's a great gift. Yeah. This is going to show how shallow and superficial I am. But my greatest memories of Leadership Journal were the cartoons. Oh yeah, yeah. People say they read it for the articles, but uh, no, we all but know we're that, all lying yeah. when we say that. Now, I mean, the articles were very impactful in many cases, but mm-hmm. I can hardly remember a single article. But man, the cartoons were the best. D- tell us about that. How did that evolve, and who was oh, in charge of that? Yeah, that, that was. Uh, I, that's not anything I had much to do with, other than I inherited a great uh, concept that uh, the founding editors put in in place. But uh, yeah, uh, it, it's interesting that. It, Leadership Journal was known for great cartoons, just sort of inside your skin cartoons. Yeah, uh, they it was it was in house humor for people who've been in uh, church leadership. Yeah, only church kids and and only people who breathe the exhaust of the church would get it. Breathing the exhaust of church is a great way to put it, uh, Don. That's uh, that's a great description. But it is it was fascinating that almost all of our cartoonists were either pastors, pastors' wives, or pastors' kids. And uh, you know they knew what the uh, you know the the, um, the underbelly of, of ministry was yeah. like. I, I think of one cartoon, uh, you know, a pastor sitting in the corner of a, a boxing ring yeah, up in front of the congregation, and uh, the caption is. Uh, Sometimes he sets aside his regular sermon and wrestles his personal demons. And, <laughs> and I thought, oh, I've I've watched some wrestling with personal demons in the as uh, as I've listened to certain sermons and realized, okay, some, there's a lot going on beneath the surface on this one. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So I just appreciate the insight of the uh, of cartoons. What were a couple of uh, other favorites of yours, if you can, if you have them ready at hand? Uh, let me see. Um, there's one pastor sitting behind, uh, sitting behind a desk, and uh, two new staff members are uh, in front of him. And he says, uh, "Consider this place a theocracy, and I'm Theo." <laughs> I remember that one. <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh, gosh, oh yeah. That, I, yeah. That's um, great. Yeah. Anyway. So how did you develop such a heart for pastoral ministry through a career as a journalist? Now, obviously, you grew up in a Christian home, and your dad... Um, was was actively involved in ministry, but you've been on the you've been kind of on the front lines of pastoral ministry and and probably other forms of ministry as well, but on the front lines in a way that many people don't get access to those front lines unless they in fact are a pastor. Well, I'd have to say it, it does begin with uh, being raised in the home of a seminary professor who taught church history. And I, you know, conversations in our house growing up. Uh, tended to be about either church history or about sports. And so, you know, given my age, uh, that meant... Uh, sports always won out. Well, right? that, that meant that <laughs> Martin Luther was usually followed by Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris. Okay. Is what it was. Okay. But uh, uh, I reckon Dad did a great job. Dad was, uh, you know, church history prof, but who was uh, clearly committed to the health and vitality of the church. But he recognized that church growth, development, vitality was never a straight line that it was always dependent upon flawed uh, human beings, sinful people who God, for whatever reason, had chosen to put in positions of influence in the church. And uh, I just found that fascinating. You know, As someone who had sort of journalistic instincts and journalistic roots, I recognized that, man, the church is just a great place full of stories that have, you know, pathos, ethos, and logos, <laughs> you know, there's, here, there's here, emotion there. Yes, yeah. there's, there's emotion, there's passion there, there is, there is content, um, there is, uh, there, there's just drama there, good dra- in the best sense of that word. And uh, God uses stories of hopeless situations, bringing re- redemption to hopeless and broken situations throughout history, and, um, and also stories of, you know, Tragedy and destruction. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a it is a full fully embodied uh, a full bodied story of uh, of the church throughout the centuries that I just uh, sort of became fascinated with it. Uh, you know, I enjoyed historical fiction, and uh, church history was as good a historical not fiction but reality as any of the oh, yeah. historical fiction I was yeah. reading about. Um, you know, the Leatherstock, you know, James Fenimore Cooper, and and. Uh, Natty Bumpo and the uh, the Deerslayer and and all of that. Uh, I love that kind of fiction. But reading they got nothing on the church. Reading church history, you're thinking, my goodness, <laughs> this is the same uh, same sort right. of drama. Right, right. We've I uh, hadn't intended to talk about this, but you've uh, you've mentioned your dad a few times. I've alluded to him, mm-hmm. and just for listeners who don't know your dad, uh, that was Dr. Bruce Shelley, who uh, authored a couple of books that listeners may have heard of: Church History in Plain Language, probably the most. Mm-hmm. Well, well it's known. still it's still selling pretty well. I might uh, you know I might add as a text in uh, everything from homeschoolers to Christian colleges to uh, seminaries. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And then also he wrote uh, a smaller one called Christian Theology in Plain Language. That's correct. Not quite maybe not quite as well known, but right. Still, uh, just a really he had a great great angle on those things. How to boil what are often esoteric and overly technical. Academic well, he told, concepts he down told, and to make them accessible. He told history as a story, as a yeah. narrative. You know, yeah. each each chapter of uh, of church history in plain language begins with a you know the the, uh, the screenwriter's uh, trilogy. Here, you've got uh, you know people, place, and action. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so one chapter opens with you know Martin Luther walking through a forest when the storm comes up and lightning strikes nearby. He falls to the ground and says, "Save me, Saint Anne! I'll become a monk." You know, and you. You're you're caught up in the story, and yeah. what's going to happen to this guy next? He makes this this 
promise uh, in in a panic, and he lives up to it. But what's going to be the trajectory of that man's life? You know, it's a fascinating story that leads to the Protestant Reformation, and yeah. uh, so. Uh, yeah, Dad, Bruce, you know, Bruce Shelley was uh, associated with Denver Seminary for 50 years. Uh, after he stepped down as a professor, he continued to be a mentor and uh, continued to, uh, you know, work with students on an individual basis. So for, you know, a little more than 50 years before his uh, death in 2010, you know, he was a part of the Denver Seminary yeah. world. Yeah, and I and I enjoyed interacting with him, I think, more in those days, um, the, the days after he mm-hmm. retired, uh, partly because I wasn't his student and I wasn't. I was always intimidated by him, I think, but maybe not yeah, quite me, as me much. Me too. <laughs> okay, okay. He was one of, when I was a student, he was probably one of the most excitable people I knew. I do remember a moment in class one day when he was talking about um, and a, a writer from another era, Henry Skugel, mm-hmm. and the title of a book by Skugel, The Life of God and the Soul of Man. And that the title of that book got your dad so excited, he was literally jumping up and down in class. I would believe it. Yeah, he he brought energy to the classroom in a way that, uh, at least at that at that point, was pretty unusual. Uh, more teachers now are bringing some energy into the classroom, and I'm grateful for that. But uh, you know, at that time, I think Dad realized that uh, history had a bad reputation of history of being boring. It was just all about you know dates and and movements, and uh, he realized he had a job to do if he was going to actually mm-hmm. impact people with the uh, the power of understanding history. So, yeah, he brought his whole self to the classroom. Yeah, he and, did. Uh, he and did. I loved that. He did. Now, you wrote a book. I mean, you. I think you've uh, authored Several. two or three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it was your first, Well-Intentioned Dragons. Was that your first? Uh, no, it was my first, but it was certainly the, the best known of anything that I've done. Yeah, it was, uh, it was actually written back in 1980. The first edition was 1985, but uh, a fascinating story. Uh, I was sitting with my two bosses at Christianity Today. We were having lunch one day, just talking about the need at that time for Leadership Journal to have more than just a publication. He said, we need a book line. And uh, so we started talking about what could we what could we publish that hasn't already been published 15 times. And uh, one of the uh, one of my bosses had been a had been a pastor. And he said, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, has always fascinated me is that uh, conflict in churches is usually driven by people who don't think they're being problematic, although they are, they think they are being faithful, they think they are uh, serving the Lord, but they just wreak havoc in their wake. And uh, my other boss, who's a little more literary-minded, he said, yeah, they're just well-intentioned dragons. And we just paused. There was just silence. We said, that's it. That's exactly it. Who could write That's that? That's the title. Who could write that? And they both and immediately once, turned once to me. And once again, you said, <laughs> I can't. Yeah, I think that, I think that would be <laughs> the me. same answer. And, yeah. um, and that became a fascinating uh, nine-month journey of interviewing uh, church leaders from all different denominational backgrounds, from, you know, from Anabaptist to high church to uh, uh, church plants to, you know, all sorts of, but every one of them, it, it, you know, when I, when I described the concept it didn't take anybody more than about a minute and a half to say, yep, I, uh, somebody immediately comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody who's been in ministry more than an hour and a half has had a, an experience with church conflict, serious church conflict, and almost always uh, the people involved on both sides see themselves as being faithful to their understanding mm-hmm. of Scripture, faithful to uh, the calling of God on their life, and it just leads to... Uh, 
you know, conflict with often severe uh, consequences. And uh, I just thought, my goodness, here, here again is the drama of church history right. uh, being writ today. So I was, I sort of considered, uh, you know, well-intentioned dragons, um, you know, the rough draft of church history. Well, <laughs> yeah, that just occurred to me. This, mm-hmm. this was almost like writing history as it happens. As it happens, exactly. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, the publisher did ask me to do a, a second edition of uh, Well-Intentioned Dragons a few years ago after the electronic revolution. And, uh, you know, what does what does electronic warfare do to Well-Intentioned Dragons when they have access to social media and they can post their uh, charges on Facebook and uh, just amplify the uh, amplify the conflict? And so we uh, added chapters on electronic warfare. We added chapters on the effect of medications and mental illness on uh, on some of these things. And so the book is still uh, is still uh, in print, still uh, being used in uh, in uh, college and seminary classrooms. Uh, but uh, yeah, when people say uh, you know, people often come up to me and say, "I read Well-Intentioned Dragons," and it uh, you know, and it's still uh, it's still relevant today. And I never know whether to say. I'm sorry, or thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is as good a time as any to put in another plug for that book, Well-Intentioned Dragons, uh, the most recent issue, right. most recent edition of that. Marshall, you have been, I know this about you, that you have been uh, sort of, a stu- not sort of, you have been a diligent student of the church, uh, particularly in the U.S., maybe abroad as well, I don't know, but I know you have really done a lot to try to keep your your finger on the pulse of the church and church leadership. And for a long time now, you've done that. So talk to us a little bit about uh, what you have seen uh, change and develop and trends in church leadership. What's different now than 20, 30 years ago? What encourages you? What are some of the things you, that the church needs to lean into and face courageously? Kind of a multi-part question. There. Well, there, yeah, there are my mind is operating on several different levels, and there's probably 15 different ways I could answer that question. But let me just uh, uh, speak to one that uh, I've appreciated uh, watching and participating in church leadership being here at Denver Seminary for these last three years as a faculty member. Um, I continue to write for um, Christianity Today's pastors, uh, pastors section, and uh, a little over a year ago, they asked me to write something on uh, what can American Christians learn from people who came to Christ and uh, got first got involved in the church in another culture, in another part of the world? And so being here at Denver Seminary, I was uh, fortunate to uh, have a lot of people right here who came to Christ in other countries and then came to, um, to America. And uh, I remember sitting with uh, Wilmer Ramirez, who was raised in Guatemala, pastored in Guatemala, was part of a seminary down there, then came and is now... Uh, overseeing our uh, Hispanic initiative here in uh, at Denver Seminary. But uh, I just asked him, I said, Wilmer, when you first came to uh, the United States, what was the experience you had that first made you realize, I'm not in Guatemala anymore? <laughs> and he said, oh, uh, it was the first Sunday I was here. I was in an English-speaking church, and the, uh, the pastor was making uh, announcements. And uh, he said... Uh, you know, we're going to be having this event this next weekend. You all come. It's going to be a blast. And he said, I'd never heard that phrase used in church before. And in Guatemala, in the midst of a civil war, when you say it's going to be a blast, that's... Uh, run for cover. Uh, run for cover. <laughs> and he said, but here in the United States, he said, I found that uh, almost every announcement uh, was appealing to 
the fact maybe you would they wouldn't use the words you have a blast but it's going to be fun you will enjoy this uh your kids will love it uh you know it was it was all all the the appeal was all on the uh the enjoyment or the attractiveness of the okay. of the event and he said i'd never thought of that before you know in guatemala uh if you invite somebody to come to something it, you're going you're doing it because this will be good for you this is going to be this oh. is going to help you in your walk with god this will help you represent the kingdom of god in some way it was just a different way of thinking the in fun america factor the fun factor was was, was the you, you led with the fun factor in uh, mm. in the american church and i realized wow wilmer you've uh, guilt uh, guilty as charged i mean yeah. i've i've breathed the air of the american church so much that that didn't strike me as ne- odd never, at all yeah. and that's yeah. just how we do things here when we're living in a uh, you know consumer christian culture you have to try to appeal to people who think like a consumer with uh, with how you know how fun or how enjoyable or how beneficial or or how uh, profitable it's going to be for you to be a part of this uh, this event so you know that was one uh, one thing that i think sort of opened a window uh, for me, recognizing that um, this is this is the situation we're in. This is the air we're breathing, and um, sometimes the air we're breathing can uh, inadvertently cause us to uh, move in directions that may not be what the original uh, kingdom of God, what the original ecclesia that Jesus right. said he was going to uh, establish right. uh, was all about. Hmm. Not that we condemn, you know, people who breathe this air so long this is the only way they know but it it really helps to be able to uh see what we're doing with the eyes of people who are um from another uh from another part of the world another student a student here uh, who came to christ in mongolia he's one of the first uh um some of the first missionaries after the uh the iron curtain fell came to christ uh in in mongolia his name is mojik i asked mojik uh, you know a similar question he said uh you know, when I came to the United States, everybody seemed so casual. He said, I went to a Bible college in another state, and he said, the president invited us to call him by his first name. He said, mm-hmm. that was that was uh, unheard of in Mongolia. But at the same time, I sort of assumed that if I can call him by his first name, I can just drop by his house anytime I want, like, <laughs> you know, like you do with people who invite you to call, call you by their first name in Mongolia. But I learned very quickly that in the United States, Relationships are very casual, but they are not near as accessible as uh, you know they were in Mongolia. And I thought, wow, I never would have seen that. But right. but being able to see see church life, be able to see our cultural idiosyncrasies through the eyes of people who met Christ and were raised in uh, different forms of church in other parts of the world has been very helpful. Mm. So, what do you think are some of the biggest, or maybe the if you can isolate one, the biggest challenge facing the church today in the U.S. and um, challenge that that those preparing to lead the church need to face. Uh, at, in a word, individualism. Okay. Uh, in the in the U.S., uh, you know, we've just been so uh, steeped in individualistic thinking that each person is the uh, you know captain of their own fate. Each person can. Uh, choose what is best for them at that um it, it, that, that brings real challenges for uh, what it means to try to uh, live as the body of christ um and um oftentimes in a consumer culture which you know i referenced before um uh, you know 
what's the uh, is what's what's the old saying? The customer is always right. right. And uh, you know, when you bring that kind of attitude to church, you know, it um, it really is a it really is a challenge for us to be able to talk about the authority of Scripture, or talk about the you know primacy of being the body of Christ, not just the individual fingernail of Christ. Yeah. And uh, and so, yeah, in the United States, it's it's a challenge for us to be able to subsume personal preferences, to be able to subsume uh, our individual wants, desires, and our wish lists. In, uh, in the service of something much larger than uh, our own individual uh, preferences. So I would say that's, you know, that's an ongoing you know, challenge as we seek to walk under the lordship of Christ. It's not just me under the lordship of Christ. It's how can we uh, be under the lordship of Christ? And that's probably our cultural, uh, our cultural challenge at the, uh, you know, in this age. Yeah. Put in a plug for the Doctor of Ministry program. How does that uh, express Denver Seminary's mission to Prepare people to engage the needs of the world redemptively. For people who already have a master's degree but recognize that there's more to learn, more more depth, more theological depth to to plumb, uh, a, a need for an understanding of your contextual theology. You know what what are the theological foundations of your particular ministry in this particular place? The doctor of ministry is a is a great opportunity to deepen your theological foundation and to broaden your uh, ministry perspective. Being able to sit in class with people like some of the individuals I, I mentioned earlier who come from other parts of the world who are in very different ministry contexts, but uh, who can enrich you in your, um, in your ministry greatly. And so I'm loving it. I'm getting an education myself even as I'm overseeing an yes. academic program. Yeah, I can relate so, to uh, that. Yeah, it's, it's delightful. What's the most interesting you've read in the last year? interesting thing you have read. Did I say that right in the last year? Well, one of the texts that we just used in our class, uh, you know, two weeks ago is called Leadership Dichotomies. It's written by two Navy SEALs. And uh, they talk about the fact that just about every leadership principle can be either uh, underapplied or overapplied. And so there's a dichotomy there. Any good leadership principle can be taken too far. And uh, leadership is a matter of balance. And uh, boy, I appreciated that. They talked about such things as being disciplined, but not rigid, uh, planning, but not over planning. And I thought, and as, as we worked through this with the class, everybody was identifying areas in church life, in, in the leadership of their Christian organizations where these things applied. So I'm loving the uh, opportunities to find new books that have just been written in the last year, like leadership dichotomies that have great application for ministry. Oh, good. Okay, so what I often like to ask people is if you were doing anything else, what would you be doing? Oh, easy, easy. I would be a docent at a national, far, a national park. I, okay. Yeah, I would, love to, I would love to tell, uh, I love to tell the stories of history in, in places where they occurred. So, uh, boy, if I, could, uh, if I could be in the uh, in national parks telling some of the history of Colorado or if I could be at uh, you know, Little Bighorn telling the uh, Telling the foibles of uh, of uh, General Custer, um, I think that would just be delightful yeah, to camper, help make huh? uh, help make history store. make uh, make history come alive in the places where it happened. Oh, that's great! I love it. We have been visiting with Dr. Marshall Shelley, director of our Doctor of Ministry program, uh, longtime editor of Leadership Journal. What a delight, Marshall! Thanks for. Thanks for carving out time to be with us today. Oh, well, thanks. It's fun to be here. Yeah, this is Engage 360 from Denver Seminary. If you would like uh, more information about the Doctor of Ministry program, you can find that on our website, along with information about all of our programs 
at denverseminary.edu. We hope you'll keep uh, keep listening and encourage your friends. If you've uh, benefited from this podcast, we hope you'll encourage your friends to listen. You can find us on all of your favorite podcast platforms. I'm Don Payne. Talk to you soon.